Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Well, it's the anniversary, started in 1791, ended in 1804, of the Haitian Revolution. Today, August 21st, the Haitian Revolution represents the largest slave uprising. This is from the Wikipedia page. Since Spartacus's unsuccessful revolt against the Roman Republic 1,900 years before, it was successful. The only slave uprising that led to the founding of a nation which was both free from slavery and ruled by non-white former captives. So today, the anniversary of the Haitian Revolution. Today also, we're going to have a, an eclipse. It's uh, going to start here on the East Coast and sometime in the next hour or thereabouts. Do not look at it. If you don't have the right glasses, don't try. You'll be able to watch on TV. We're trying to find a, uh, a, uh, a sun cam someplace. Uh, Nate is, you know, <laughs> right now furiously looking for them uh, so that we can, you know, pop it into a corner of the screen and share the eclipse with you right here on, you know, uh, if you're watching us, if you're listening to us, we will describe it. So there's that. And, uh, Dick Gregory died over the weekend, as did Jerry Lewis. Uh, Jerry Lewis, I didn't know. Jerry Lewis was part of everybody's growing up, you know, if nothing else, with the muscular dystrophy telethons. But Dick Gregory was a big part of my growing up and uh, just an amazing guy. Um, back in 1980, excuse me, back in 1960, I think it was 68, I had a job as the uh, all-night DJ at a radio station in Lansing, Michigan. And, this, uh, and, and I did an all-night progressive rock show. And I was 17 years old. I was doing an all-night progressive rock show. And the station during the daytime played what was called the Drake format, which was a, uh, a guy named Bill Drake came up with this out of, uh, I think, CKLW or uh, one of the big stations anyway. And uh, rock and roll stations it was a rock and roll format. You know, the top of the hour, go, top 10, and then go to the golden oldies, and then you go to the top 50, and then you go to a, you know, and like, and, and, and we had different bins, and we would just rotate the records from the bins from front to back and everything. And there were rules around the great Drake format, but I didn't do a rock and roll show. I did a album cut show all night. So I, I didn't, you know, pay much attention to them, didn't bother to learn them. And one night I was doing my show, 
And I played uh, two artists, two Motown artists back to back, two women who were black. And the and it was like one o'clock in the morning, you know, and, and the station owner manager, I'm, you know, I never got clear whether he was the owner or the manager, but I, I, he might have been both. Uh, his name was Bob. He called me up and and started yelling at me about what are you trying to create a sound on my station? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you just played two black women back to back. You don't do that. It's a, it breaks the rules of the Drake format. And I said, I'm doing a progressive rock show. I'm doing album cuts. I mean, this isn't, you know, rock and roll. And he just went off on me. He's like, you're not going to do that. And I said, wait a minute, you're upset because I played two black women back to back. And he's like, yes. So I hung up on him and I started playing black women. I, you know, I was a little more, a little more oppositional when I was 17. I guess I'm pretty oppositional right now. And so he calls back and he starts, he's screaming at me, he's screaming obscenities at me. He's like, you know, you're fired. He is what he ended with. You know, this was, this was all he had. Right. And I said, okay, thank you very much. And I hung up and, and, uh, I got out Dick Gregory's album, the light side, the dark side, which had just come out, uh, as I recall, uh, just recent, you know, just prior to that, I'd listened to it, uh, with a bunch of friends, like, you know, in the previous month or three. I'd never met Dick Gregory. I'd never seen him, anything. But his work was just, you know, I was just a white kid in Lansing, Michigan, right? But um, it, it's just amazing work. And I just, I played all four sides of that album. It took about an hour or two hours, something like that. I played it over and over all night long. And, and I found some other Dick Gregory to play. And I played, you know, I basically played Dick Gregory and Motown for the rest of the night. And that was my last night at, uh, at that radio station. And in fact, after about an hour of this, the engineer, who was a really nice guy and a good friend of mine, we were both ham radio operators, um, and he was just a couple of years older than me. He was a, a student, an engineering student, a grad student at MSU. Uh, he shows up at like two o'clock in the morning and he says, you know, Bob called me and told me I'm supposed to come here and uh, throw you out of the studio and just play, uh, play music all night. And I said, well, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to get in a fight with you or anything. <laughs> it's like the guy was a friend of mine. And he says, well, you know, I don't really want to do that. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he pulls a bag of pot out of his pocket and says, uh, let's get high. And so we sat there in the studio smoking dope for the rest of the night. Keep in mind, this was 1968. And uh, that was the end of that. The, the, the one and only time in my entire life that I've been fired with cause. But that, that was the first impact that Gregory had on me. Then years later, we started this uh, vegetarian uh, community for abused kids in New Hampshire. And I knew that Dick Gregory was a vegetarian. I'd read his book, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dick Gregory's uh, Diet. Oh, what was it called? Um, something like Dick Gregory's Cooking with Life or whatever it was. In any case, I'd read his stuff. And so, uh, and, and I was looking for famous vegetarians. Dennis Weaver had, had joined our board Gloria Swanson had joined our, vo our board. So I contacted, you know, I had a mutual friend and I contacted Dick Gregory and he came up to, up to New Hampshire to visit our place. He spent several days with us. Uh, he then, uh, a little later that year, uh, he got, and he became a member of our board. And later that year, he and I went to Germany to visit the solemn headquarters uh, that I will be uh, visiting next month, actually, the anniversary. And um, then we flew down to Nairobi, and then we picked up a plane to, to Uganda, to Entebbe. And we spent a week in Uganda looking at the uh, famine relief programs in the, in the wake of Idi Amin's ouster. This was 1981. Um, that 
that, that the Salem organization, SalemInternational.org is the website that, that Salem was running and got to know each other really well. The guy has just a not had just a nonstop sense of humor. I mean, it was it was just it, it, traveling with him, getting to know him, uh, working with him was such a privilege in my life. And uh, his nonstop sense of humor. I, me- I remember, uh, you know, we were going through the airport in, as I recall, I think it was Nairobi. It might have been in Tebby. Uh, anyhow, we were going through an airport, we were walking down this hall, and I was the only white face that could be seen anywhere. And, and, uh, and I was carrying the bags. And he turns to me, he goes, you hurry up, white boy, come on, <laughs> pick up my bag. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, it was just so funny. It was, it was like this nonstop, I mean, that, that, you could think of that as funny or not, I mean, whatever, but uh, one thing Greg, De Gregory was not was politically correct. He was brilliant. And this is, um, he was on the Merv Griffin show, as I recall. This, Nate, this is Merv Griffin, right? Yeah, Merv, Merv Griffin show in 1965. And he's making the point that when you've got 20 million African-Americans telling you that you've got a police brutality problem, you should pay attention to them. This was 40 years ago, 42 years ago. On, you know, on a program that was watched by a massive chunk of white America. And nobody was paying attention. Here is uh, Dick Gregory from the Merv Griffin Show back in the day. Just a short clip here. Every incident that have been tipped off in this country in the last two years up north have been tipped off by uniformed police. Now, I'm not saying the police is right or wrong. I'm saying when you have these incidents that's tipped off with this one symbol, then we should look into it and see what it is. When 22 million people, be they black or white, start hollering police brutality, then it's time to start listening to 22 million people and going in. A lot of people say, well, it's not police brutality. Police brutality is not when a cop necessarily knocks me upside the head. It's when a cop calls me nigger when he's making the arrest. It's when he handles me wrongly in every process of processing the arrest. This is a form of police brutality. And there's so few people that seem to understand that when the Negro says it's police brutality, then you say, well, he's, he's just looking for a way out. Well, how do these many people look for a way out in so many areas in America? It's like Billy Graham, I think, made the statement of statements when he came into L.A. and he said he thought the communists was behind the rides. And there's just not enough communists in Russia to stand on every corner in a Negro ghetto waiting for a cop to arrest a Negro and start a ride. <laughs> and there he goes, you know, I mean, using humor to awaken us. I, I miss Dick Gregory already. Okay, we have an eclipse today. Christian radio host Brian Fisher has said, has, oh, we've got the video feed of it. Cool. Uh, we, uh, Brian Fisher has said that uh, the eclipse is the work of Satan. He said, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not making this up. Brian Fisher has been a guest on this program until we just basically stopped inviting him because his, his perspective was so offensive. He says, Satan and those who unwittingly serve as his accomplices by resisting the public acknowledgement of God and seeking to repress the expression of Christian faith in our land are bringing on us a dark night of the national soul. Right. And Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, said, the celebratory nature regarding the eclipse brings to my mind the Babylonian king Belshazzar, who threw a drunken feast the night the Medes and Persians crept under the city gate. While Belshazzar and his friends partied, they were oblivious to the impending danger. Belshazzar wound up dead the next day, and the Babylonian Empire was destroyed. 
While no one can be sure if judgment is coming on America, it does seem that God is signaling us something. Right. So thoughts on that? What are you going to do for the eclipse? What, you know, by the way, do not look at it. Nice piece in today's Washington Post, Louis Tomasowski's, uh, he, he, he was in Portland, Oregon back, uh, you know, 40 years ago, the last time, 50 years ago, when the last time there was a major eclipse. And he was 16 with his friend Roger Duvall, and they went out on the baseball field and looked at the eclipse for about 10 or 15 seconds with one eye. Both of them are now partially blind in that respective one eye. So be very, very careful. In Vietnam, the uh, people believe that it was a giant frog eating the sun, the eclipse. I'm wondering what you think, particularly if you're a Republican. Republicans don't believe in science, right? Climate science, uh, evolution. So Republicans don't know that there's an eclipse coming. And I'm wondering, you know, do the, do the Republicans think that this is, uh, is it a giant frog devouring, devouring the sun? You know, the Norse, they thought it was wolves eating the sun. The Chinese were so certain it was a celestial dragon that the Chinese word for eclipse, chi, means to eat. Uh, in Hindu mythology, the a, one deity is eaten by the other. One is the sun, right? Uh, Korean folks, folklore talks about mythical dogs trying to steal the sun. The, angry, the, the ancient Greeks thought it was a sign of angry gods and the beginning of disasters and destruction. I want to talk to you about free speech, too. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Yeah, in Oregon, the sun is already one quarter gone. I'm going to have to get out my little ball, you know, globes that you use to pretend the, this is the sun, this is the moon. Um, because the sun goes from east to west. I mean, obviously, the planet rotates from west to east. And, you know, it's... But, um, but functionally, it appears that the sun is going from east to west. So why is the eclipse going from west to east? I don't understand that. I mean, I just, it's not that I don't understand it technically. It's that I need pictures, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so anyway, we'll talk about that. Um, I did also want to talk about free speech. But uh, I see that, you know, we've got, a, we've got a, uh, every Every single line is full right now, so let's just pick up some phone calls and see where you all are at today. Marilyn in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Marilyn. Hey there, Tom. Thank you for your program. You. Um, I have two stories about um, Dick Gregory. Mm -hmm. In '68, I lived in Chicago in the summer, part of SDS, and uh, went to a movie called The Battle of Algiers. We were by the L train, and as we're walking out, there was Dick Gregory, and mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I don't want him to watch the Battle of Algiers, but I'm sure he knew the history. Uh, the other one was um, on Michigan Avenue the night of the election. Uh, we were in a big crowd in that mass demonstration. I'm sorry, I'm nervous. And, um, you know, everybody was behind the big police line, and a man came walking along the crowd yelling, Listen, everybody, you just need to come to my house for a beer. Come on, I live by the stockyards. We'll just go on down. We'll go have a beer. That was Dick Gregory. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. That is great. Marilyn, That's thank all. you for sharing the stories with us. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, okay, 10 seconds. I'm not going to put Peter on that. That would not be kind to Peter. Um, yeah. So what does the eclipse mean to you? And... Uh, 
This morning, by the way, my, my Uber driver said, oh, I'm going to watch it by putting my phone in selfie mode. Troy Googles that and gets all these warnings about, look out, the sun will reflect off your phone and blind you. I tried it this morning and I could hold my phone so that there was no sun reflection. But, I, but I'm not recommending this at all. I, I don't, I, you know, if you didn't buy the glasses, I don't have any easy explanation for you other than watch it on TV. We'll be back. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. Does the uh, does the apocalypse signal the end of time? I you know I don't think so. <laughs> it's a it's an astrological phenomenon, right? And uh, tonight Donald Trump is going to give a speech. It'll be the first time that he has addressed the nation since basically since his inauguration, since his State of the Union address or whatever that was called, his joint member to uh, his, his speech to a joint member uh, to a joint Congress or whatever. But uh, and the interesting piece, by the way, about this over at the Financial Times, the headline and, and by Nicole Bullock and uh, Eric Platt, the headline, Donald Trump's market honeymoon turning into a risky divorce might be a real good time to get out of the stock market. But uh, anyhow. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Jean-Michel in Kiwa, Hawaii. Am I saying your name or your city correctly? <laughs> Probably not, right? Hi, Tom. It's Jean-Michel in Kiwa, Hawaii. Great. Thank you. What's up? Um, well, I'd like to talk about the lack of Arctic sea ice coverage and the current temperatures at climatereanalyzer.org. If you put it on today's date, today's climate, and you slip over to maximum temperature, you'll see very little of the Arctic Sea coverage is uh, in a freezing mode. It is above freezing. Right. And we still have a month to go. I'd really love to have you invite uh, Paul Beckwith from uh, Ottawa. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, I know you deal with Peter Wadhams a lot. Yeah, Peter's going to be in, in studio I, next month. Yes, thank you for your your courage to uh, speak out on these issues. He uh, last week uh, via email, uh, Professor Wadhams clued me into the fact that it isn't the methane out of the shallow seas that is going to get us. It'll be the surface methane, and and I concur this. I'm from Alaska. Yeah. I've been watching this out of the permafrost. Uh, yeah, out of the permafrost on the land. That's right, right. because you see. Uh, when, like in a test tube or a petri dish, uh, a quarter of a degree can make all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. And this is so with what's going to happen with the escalation of uh, methane hydrates from the surface. What we're seeing in the oceans around the world is, is kind of under control. There's pressure from the ocean. It's going to happen slower. It's, it's more methodical. It's, it's quieter. It's unseen. But if you go in Alaska anywhere above the Arctic Circle now and you punch a hole into the tundra, you can light that. You yeah. can light that. No, I know. There's, there's mind-boggling amounts of methane. Jean-Michel, well said. And let me encourage people to check out your site, and uh, the site that you're mentioning, and also arctic-news.blogspot.com. Thanks, Jean-Michel. Uh, Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Tom. So you have a trouble visualizing uh, celestial mechanics as well? Yeah. I, in fact, Troy found a whole article uh, in the Washington Post titled, Dear Science, is the Eclipse Moving Backwards? 
And uh, the guy says, yes, this definitely falls into the category of space questions that are really tough to wrap your mind around. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't feel bad about that if I was you. I read the but whole the article. I, I understand the mechanics of it. I just can't visualize it. I have, for some reason, I've got to I've got to physically, do, you know, lay them out. But anyhow, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. And as far as like, um, you know, the metaphysics, because sometimes you talk about metaphysics and uh, spirituality and stuff like that. Um, I think it's interesting that. Um, uh, you know, Donald Trump was born on a um, lunar eclipse. Right. And see, in 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 uh, in mythology, that's the chthonic, that's the earthly, the the uh, you know the um, uh, you know that's the underworld. <laughs> okay. Oh, really? It represents the underworld. Yeah, and a solar eclipse in in uh, many pre pre Abrahamic uh, religions. Okay, in many pre Abrahamic. Uh, theologies, uh, a solar eclipse represents the heavenly, the ethereal plane and stuff like this. So would... So would an interesting dichotomy there. Yeah, right? would, would uh, pre-modern science people, and I, I would assume that, you know, at, uh, at some level that would mean not just, you know, a thousand years ago or five thousand years ago, but maybe even as much as just a few hundred years ago, uh, would have said that somebody born on a lunar eclipse had the potential to be the Antichrist, rise to ultimate power, and then start a war that ends the world? <laughs> well, that's a little bit, yeah, I guess that's subject to interpretation. But yeah, I mean, there was always that rivalry. There was always that dichotomy, you know, um, uh, the sun representing a new life, rebirth. Mm-hmm. And then there was the chthonic, the underworld, where one goes, you know, you pay the ferryman to take you to the underworld, right. where, you know, it, it's this post-mortem and stuff like this. So, I, I don't know, I just, yeah, and there is a lot of things about Donald Trump that um, really, uh, you know, the conservatives, of course, they're not going to bring it up because, because they're, you know, his his constituency. But liberals won't bring it up either because I think, you know, we just have too good a, t- you know, he's the president of the United States, you know, yeah. so we have good, too good a taste. But there is a lot of creepy stuff about Donald Trump, you know, as far as uh, all that, that goes. Like, you know, um, the Kushner's Towers at 666 uh, Fifth Avenue, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And, I, and as I recall, when Reagan was president, there was a whole big thing around how his home address used to be 666 and they changed, Nancy had it changed. Um, as they were yeah. buying the property or something like that. And, of course, Ronald Wilson Reagan was six letters, six letters, six letters. And in Revelation, it says, in the name of the beast shall be. And so that that had a lot of people flipped out in the 80s. But, uh, you know, I, I'm i not big into thinking about antichrists and whatnot. I don't think Donald Trump is the antichrist. But it, it, it would get very interesting if there was um, any kind of movement to think that he was. It's very strange. Dave, thanks for the call. Jim in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? Well, uh, the, the uh, speech tonight with Trump, on I'm sure he'll have the uh, Afghanistan thing in there. Well, that's supposed and, to be the whole point of it, is to uh, lay out the new Afghanistan policy, which is, which is, according to leaks, he's going to authorize three to 5,000 more U.S. troops and going to authorize them to actually get into combat with the uh, Afghan military. Um, well... Here, here's my take on shades it. of Richard Nixon's it, it, escalations. I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead, Jim. It's it's the Afghanistan, as you know, is the world's biggest opium trade. Yep. And we're pushing it. We're selling it. The banks have billions and billions in their banks. And I don't exactly how, know how that interest is distributed. 
I'm not privy to that. But this is almost like Churchill repeating uh, the history in India in the opium trade when he said, uh, let the little brown bellies die, which was rather shocking. And I think we're doing the same thing in Afghanistan. It's a, it's a world opium trade. It's horrible. We're going to push it all over the, the world. We already are. And I, I think people uh, shouldn't be looking at the solar eclipse. I think they're blind in both eyes on a, on a lot of things. And that's enough said on Afghanistan. The other thing is, is nobody's following the lawsuits on Saudi Arabia that Congress and the Senate uh, uh, voted together unanimously, which is uh, a lot of happen. Yeah, that's a big deal. And yeah. oh, uh, I agree, Jim. We, we try to keep it to one topic per caller, so I'll, I'm going to leave you at that. But thank you for the call, Mark Taylor Canfield in Seattle. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, can you hear me? Is that just fine. Okay? Yeah, just fine. Yeah, I'm reporting from Seattle Center, right next to the Space Needle at the Pacific Science Center, where there's actually a huge line of people. Uh, mostly families trying to get into the science center right now because they're actually giving free eclipse classes away uh, with the entry oh, cool. to that establishment. Yeah, I was but talking yeah, to a friend right of mine in South Carolina yesterday, and he said the local newspaper is passing them out with the newspapers this morning. Ah, yeah, well, there was definitely a, a supply and demand problem. I don't know what happened to our business infrastructure, why the manufacturers and retailers didn't realize there would be such a demand for them. But yeah. uh, just as a few days ago, Eclipse classes were going for about $100. Whoa! But, yeah, online. But you know what? There's also people, I guess some people are interpreting this religiously. Some people are, are studying it astronomically. I know over at the University of Washington Astronomy Department, they're, of course, really fascinated with this today. But there's also some people that are just enjoying themselves. In fact, the Sorrento Hotel which is a very nice hotel here in Seattle, is offering free mimosas for people who show up there to watch the eclipse. So. <laughs> okay. Everybody can figure out a way to make a buck off this. Mark, Mark Taylor Canfield, great to hear from you, Mark. Thank you. Hack in Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, hey Hack, what's on your mind? I, I think the message from God that he's trying to send to the eclipse is how the heck did that guy get in the White House? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so the eclipse is a metaphor for the moral darkness that Donald Trump has brought to the United States? Um, that and, you know, if Jim Baker's prediction was true that, you know, Obama was, uh, that, uh, that um, God is mad because of the Obama years, right? why would he turn the world darker? Right. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. Putting it, you're, you're slightly racializing it. Yeah, I get it. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, Hack, I, I would say, you know, if he's still angry about Obama, why didn't he do this during the Obama presidency? I mean, you know, it seems to me like he's angry about Trump, isn't it? I mean, Trump's president. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Over Oregon right now, the sun is about half gone. Here in Washington, D.C., we're still waiting for it to darken. We'll be back. Hey, Tom Hartman here with the Tom Hartman program. You know I'm serious about my health, and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Super Beets. I'm drinking Super Beets, a circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure, too. I have amazing energy and amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls Beets fitness in a glass. With Super Beets, I get all the benefits without the bad taste or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for a jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Super Beets and feel results in as little as 20 minutes guaranteed or your money back. Try the original black cherry, uh, excuse me, the original berry or black cherry. I like them both. 
If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Only for the summer, you can try Super Beats for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of Super Beats with 10 packets to try and feel the results, plus two free indicator strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Super Beats. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results. Guaranteed. More energy, more stamina, support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to tomsbeats.com. That's tomsbeats.com. Welcome back. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's up? Hi, Tom. Let me get you off the speaker. There we go. Um, One brief irreverent remark before I get to my point. I've heard it said over the last couple of days that Trump supporters have been encouraged to view the eclipse without protective eyewear because, after all, they're already blind. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, if they don't believe in science, they're going to end up without without eyes. I mean, you know, it's just it's a it's a real. No. And there's there's actual blindness and the blindness that affects men's minds. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, the news reports I've heard yesterday and today about the unfortunate collision involving the USS Janice McCain right. uh, named or reported Trump's tweet on the matter. And in regard to the 10 missing sailors, he said, too bad. And I thought to myself, really? Is the commander in chief saying that 10 patriotic young Americans who enlisted in our Navy to protect us all and put their lives on the line, too bad. That's all you can say. I haven't and seen that Navy's tweet. Job the Navy's job to go in harm's way, and they deserve a, a little bit more incur, um, sympathetic and empathetic verbiage than that, but we know he has no empathy. But in the larger sense about the McCain, that is the vessel that a few weeks ago made freedom of navigation runs through the areas of the ocean that the Chinese are claiming as their territory. I remember, through the Spratlys, those yeah. Around the artificial islands they've constructed, which are just... Uh, immobile aircraft carriers and military bases, and I don't think there's too many coincidences, if any, in the world. And I would hope that our Navy and the international maritime authorities fully investigate this Liberian flag tanker, find out who its real owners are and who the officers were. You think it's possible that the tanker was sent by the Chinese to hit the U.S., or that it might have been hacked, or for that matter? I mean, apparently what happened was the same thing that happened a few months ago with the, uh, I, I forget what the, which of the other ship was. Was it the George Bush or something or whatever it was? Anyhow, there was there was another ship that was, that was hit. Pardon? It oh, it was the Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald. right. And, and what was it, seven or eight soldiers died? Seven sailors died. Yeah, yeah seven sailors. Thank you. And, and that if, apparently in both cases, the guys who were on the bridge who were supposed to be monitoring the radar were like off having a cigarette or sound asleep or something. I mean, why aren't why are not proximity detectors set at like a scale of five miles and on automatic? You know, if a if a ship is approaching, why doesn't a siren go off? I don't get it. I you know the Navy has has frozen all operations as of about two hours ago worldwide while they figure out what the heck is going on. I think that this is both a breakdown of of, of human resources and and a, you know a, a lack of the use of appropriate technology. But but uh, you know I'm not a a uh, naval engineer, but it's just in my uninformed opinion, it looks that way. George, uh, yeah, but, but if it was Chinese sabotage, I, you know that hadn't even occurred to me. But yeah, you're right. That that uh, boy, that would be that would be really bad. George, thanks for the call. Jesse in uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Hey Jesse, what's on your mind? 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question about accountability and if something can be done. Um, you got uh, DAs, you can't sue them. You got the judges, you can't sue them when they make a mistake. And then with the police abusing their rights, and they're not just going after um, the black or the Mexicans, they're also going after the white, especially in our state, Wisconsin. And then Walker, he just empowers the police even more. And it seems like nothing can be done. Yeah, it's a delicate balance, Jesse, on the one hand. And thanks for the call. On the one hand, you've got, you know, the conservatives out there uh, talking about criminal justice reform. And what they really want is a is a reform around what's called mens rea, which is this uh, which is Latin for state of mind. And and so what they want to do is change the criminal code, basically so that CEOs and executives and companies cannot be prosecuted for the wrongdoing of those companies. Because right now they can be prosecuted. for that. And part of their argument is, well, you can't prosecute government officials. You shouldn't be able to uh, prosecute corporate officials. Uh, basically, you know, a variation on your argument. And then and then and then there's also people, you know, among the conservatives who say, well, government officials should be able to be sued. You know, and, and they're saying that because, you know, some of these big companies, if a government official is enforcing a regulation and it's costing the company money, they'd like to be able to sue and stop that, even though it may be protecting all of us. Uh, on the other hand, government has tremendous power. It has the power to imprison us. It has the power to harass us. It has the power to destroy us when that power is inappropriately used. And when that power is inappropriately used, there should be accountability and there should be consequences. And how to maintain that delicate balance. And then on the third hand, the only thing that can hold corporate power in check and billionaire power in check is government, which is why, of course, the billionaires are financing this huge effort to destroy our government. It's why they hate America or at least American government. It's, it's a whole Reagan's thing. You know, problem isn't, you know, the, the, it isn't that government's going to solve the problem. Government is the problem was was Reagan's sales pitch. Hate America. Right. Hate, hate American government. That has been the Republican mantra basically since Nixon. And it's 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 destroying our country. Leonard in South Pasadena, California. Hey, Leonard, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. What's up? OK, this is regarding racist people. Yeah, they're just a tool of the greedy billionaires. When it comes down to it, are they rich? No, they're part of the 99 percent get kicking the teeth like the rest of us. But yet what racism, what it does is it glorifies the white race, keep us separate. And gives them, I guess, opportunity to say, hey, we're better than you. Yeah. You know, and so they just, they're just greedy hoarders. And uh, they're just, you know, hurting the rest of us just for profits only. I think if you, if you look carefully, you will find at the, at, the, at the core of the soul of most racists, a very frightened little, usually a boy, um, a frightened little child. And they are directing their fright about the world at people who look different from them. And I think that, you know, it's it, 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 which doesn't mean that we need to treat them with love and compassion, but certainly we need to understand what's going on. And this is why when the Trump administration defunded lifeafterhate.org, when they defunded the organization that helps people come out of Nazi organizations come out of white supremacist organizations and reconnect with the whole world, you know, with all of us. Um, you know, when when Trump defunded that and and and, you know, basically there is there is 
very little effort now being made. There's some. It's it's growing, but you recall in, uh, to to track these right wing uh, racist groups. You'll recall in 2009 when Obama became president, uh, the the uh, Justice Department issued a study that was commissioned by George W. Bush that was done during the George W. Bush years. It just happened to come out in the first few months of the Obama administration saying that white supremacists represented the greatest terrorist threat to the United States or one of the one of the top terrorist threats to the United States. And and Rush Limbaugh went off on this thing, got hysterical about it. Leonard, thank you for the call. Uh, you know, went off on it. And the whole right wing thing erupted and Fox News went after it. You know, bloody, bloody, but quack, quack, quack. And and the net net was that Obama pulled the report. They shut it down. You know, the FBI warning us about white, white ringer, right winger. Back, Tom Hartman here with you. The eclipse is going uh, to near totality on the West Coast uh, in Oregon. It's going from basically Oregon to South Carolina, a straight line right across the United States. Well, actually, it's kind of a curved line because the Earth is curved, but you know, it depends on how, the, how you lay out the map. I wanted to talk to you about free speech for a few minutes. The, the, there, are, there are a lot of different currents and cross-currents that seem to operate within this frame of free speech. Uh, there's a piece over on Politico by uh, Greg Lukianoff and Nico Perino. The headline, Why Even Nazis Deserve Free Speech, The First Amendment is Under Threat and You Should Be Worried. But they start out by making the argument against so-called free speech. Um, suggesting that Texas A&M University, you know, Richard Spencer has, here, here's what, here's what happened. Richard Spencer, you know, the, the neo-Nazi hail Trump, hail, hail, uh, uh, victory, all that kind of stuff. Sieg Heil, uh, that Richard Spencer, the, 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 the you know, the right-wing Nazi American had booked rooms at Texas A&M, University of Florida, Michigan state to go give speeches. In no case. Did the university or anybody affiliated with the university invite Richard Spencer to speak? Instead, Richard Spencer rented a room on campus to give a speech, or his, his organization did, which has a kind of bland-sounding name like the National Policy Institute or something like that. So, and then, and then when the university finally figures out it's Richard Spencer and says, hey, Sorry, you know, we don't want to riot on our campus. You know, we, we don't want our campus police. We don't want to have to blow the whole year's budget in one afternoon. It's, a, you know, we're just not going to rent this room to you. And then he starts screaming, oh, my God, the university is censoring me. It's a public institution. They take money from the government. It's, you know, they should fall under the first amount. Well, the question that occurs to me is why are universities renting out rooms to the public in the first place? Are they that broke? Is this a symptom of the, the war on education that Bill Bennett declared when he was uh, the, Ronald Reagan's secretary of education? Is that what we're seeing now? The echoes of Bill Benton, Bennett working to take down public education in the United States? Reagan ending free college education in California, defunding the California universities, University of California system. Is that why these universities are, are renting rooms out? If so, the easy solution, just stop renting out rooms. And, you know, if white nationalists come and say, you know, we want to speak or, or anybody else who wants to advocate violence and racism, you just say no. 
And in fact, I think there's a much more thoughtful piece. This, you know, this this first piece in Politico, why even Nazis deserve free speech, is basically saying that you know, uh, uh, sort of a variation, and they get into Milo and Inopolis and all this other stuff, uh, is is basically a variation on the idea that you know, first they came for the Nazis, and then they came for me, right? First they said the Nazis couldn't speak, and then they said, no, Tom Hartman can't speak. Uh, or, you know, progressives can't speak or whatever. But there's a big difference between Nazis and progressives. Progressives are not advocating racial violence. Progressives are not advocating racial supremacy. Progressives, I mean, it's just, it's a huge difference. So I think the, 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 the best response is by Eve Smith over at the uh, uh, nakedcapitalism.com. Is it .com or .org blog? I don't have a .org. I think it is, yeah, Naked Capitalism. Um, one or the other. .com. Okay, it is .com. Thank you. Okay, so um, first of all, in Boston, the Nazis had a permit to speak, but it only covered 100 people and explicitly banned weapons. You may not bring weapons. Now, that was not the case in Charlottesville. Uh, they were not limited to 100 people, and they weren't told they couldn't bring weapons. But the point that, the, that, that uh, Eve is making in this article is that there's all kinds of speech in the United States that we proscribe, that we prohibit, that we say, you know, we can draw, we can circumscribe this. We can, we can draw a line around this speech and, and extract it from public dialogue. This speech is not allowed. There's lots of kinds of speech that fall into that category. And they include obscenity. There's certain words I can't say on the air. There's certain words you could get arrested for saying to a police officer. Fighting words. Now, how is the Klan and the Nazis pretty much anything that they say not fighting words? Defamation, including libel and slander. Not only do we prohibit defamation, but we give people an opportunity to have a remedy to defamation. If they feel that they've been defamed, they can sue for libel or slander, depending on whether it was done, you know, in print or in, in person. We ban child pornography. It's not, it's just simply not allowed. And by the way, not just child pornography. We also ban pornography of bestiality. Uh, we, buy, we ban pornography of extreme violence. There's a bunch of kinds of pornography that we ban. We ban perjury. You may not lie under oath. That's a limit on free speech. We ban blackmail. Blackmail is, you know, is that free speech to call up and say, hey, if you say this, I'm going to tell this? No. Not free speech. It's blackmail. We ban the incitement to imminent lawless action. That's the phrase that's used in many, in many states. Uh, you know, incitement of riot or something like that would, is more specific, but that, that same thing. We ban true threats. We ban solicitations to commit crimes. You walk up to somebody and say, hey, if I gave you $10,000, would you kill my wife? They, you, know, you can go to jail for saying that. You don't need, it could even be a joke and you can go to jail for saying that. We ban joking about bombs in airports and on airplanes. I mean, you think you've got free speech? Try talking back to a flight attendant one of these days. We ban treason, treasonous speech. And we ban plagiarism. Now, what 
uh, Eve Smith points out is that there is something in common with all of these forms of speech that we ban. Uh, obscenity, fighting words, defamation, pornography, certain types of pornography, perjury, blackmail, incitement to imminent lawless action, truth threats, solicitation to commit crimes, treason, and plagiarism. And that commonality is harm. Every single one of those types of speech that we ban, we ban because you because there is a specific type of harm associated with it. Stanley Fish, this is uh, from Eve Smith's piece over at uh, Naked Capitalism. Stanley Fish discussing a Jeremy Waldron thesis says, and I quote, the very point of hate speech, Waldron says, is to, quote, negate the implicit assurance that a society offers to the members of vulnerable groups that they are accepted. As a matter of course, along with everyone else, purveyors of hate aim to undermine this assurance, call it into question, and taint it with visible expressions of hatred, exclusion, and contempt. And if you watch that Vice video, by the way, of uh, which I, I guess something like three million people have seen so far, it's pretty shocking. You know, Vice did a, a documentary. They had a, a reporter, a camera crew embedded with the Nazis at Charlottesville. And the guy is talking, well, yeah, we're going to kill people. And yeah, that girl, she got what she deserved and all that kind of stuff. And, and this this is hate speech. And it produces harm. And Eve Smith says, and yet our political mythology demands that hate speech should be tolerated regardless of the obvious and well-documented harm it causes. Other countries have hate speech laws. The United States is long past due. And I, I have come around to agreeing with this. There was, uh, for most of my life, I applauded the ACLU back when back in the 19... I, you know, I forget what year it was. It was when I was a kid. I, I don't remember if I was a teenager or uh, younger than that, frankly. Uh, maybe you could Google that. I don't know. Uh, Troy, the, the, the ACLU and the Nazis in Skokie, Illinois. And there was a group of Nazis who, who wanted to have a march through Skokie, through downtown Skokie. And, in, and as I recall, and in 2000 and in 19, uh, 1978. Thank you, Troy. Um, and in 1978, uh, that part of Skokie still had a very, very large population of not only Jews, but people who had survived the Holocaust. And the Nazis wanted to march through there. And the ACA and the town said, no, you can't. And the ACLU defended the Nazis. Now, the march never happened. But, you know, all of us, you know, liberals thought, oh, isn't that great? The ACLU is standing up for everybody's right to free speech. And I've been kind of holding that position for a long, long time. But I got to tell you, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. I am coming to the opinion that speech that causes harm, whether it's, you know, incitement to riot or defamation, libel or slander or obscenity, you know, true threats, solicitation, that, that, that hate speech falls into that same category as speech that causes harm. This is amazing. The, uh, the moon is completely covered, the sun, in Oregon. And uh, some really spectacular footage coming out right now. Anyhow, so, so I'm, I'm ready to say, you know, we need a hate speech law, and these Nazis really do not have a First Amendment right to 
to spread the kind of hate and poison into our society that they've been trying to do. And the reason why is because we've seen the consequences. We have seen the harm associated with that. We saw it in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. We're seeing it in the United States now. There's, there's three people dead from Charlottesville as a result of that kind of hate speech. And as a society, I just don't think we should tolerate it. Your thoughts? Hey, when was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent at my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish. And thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or stretch my back, getting more done in a day than ever before. You spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of the X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com right now, that's the letter X chair, Tom, T-H-O-M.com. Not only will they knock $100 off the price, they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom, T-H-O-M. Just go to xchairtom, xchairthom.com right now. I love my X chair and you will too. So check out xchairtom, xchairthom.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, very pleased to have on the line with us Dean Obidala. He is the host of the Dean Obidala Show weekdays 6 to 9 p.m. on Sirius XM Progress Radio Channel 127. He's a columnist with the Daily Beast. Deanofradio.com is his website. Dean of Comedy is his Twitter handle. And uh, Dean, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Tom. It's great to be on. I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. And when people call my show, I can't tell you how often they quote you. They go, Tom Hartman said this today. Tom Hartman said Oh, jeez. I'm like, oh, my. I'm like, I got to Google that. I'm like, I have to know that. <laughs> well, you thank really, you, Dean. You're informing so many people, including me. But I, I, I'm being sincere when I say people call and cite you and statistics that you've given or the arguments you've made countless times. And it's, well, I always learn from you. So. Well, thank you, Dean. You, you're doing some pretty good radio. You're some very good radio yourself. And, and your, your comedy is extraordinary. I'm, I'm I, 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 the story that you are suing the uh, Daily Stormer or the, the neo-Nazi behind it. Tell us, tell us about this. Tell, first of all, for people who are not familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a Muslim comedian and uh, or but maybe that's not how you define yourself. Um, so tell us about yourself and, and how did that then become a lawsuit? Right. I'm, I'm a comedian. I'm Muslim. I'm you know, of Arab heritage and Italian heritage. All of those things come up in my comedy. When the right wing write about me, I am only Muslim. That's all they define me by. And then they'll define me by the worst stereotypes of any Muslim out there. So I'm used to being called countless names, inferred that somehow I'm a terrorist or pal around with terrorists for years by right wing publications. The more visible I got, the more criticism you get. We've that's life. That comes with the territory, and I'm used to it. What happened here was far different. What happened with the Daily Stormer, the neo-Nazi website, which is, per statistics, the best read of the white supremacist websites. I'd written an article in May 31st for the Daily Beast. The title was, When Will Donald Trump Ever Say the Words White Supremacist Terrorism? And now it's because in Portland, a few days before, two people were killed standing up to a self-professed white supremacist who were taunting an Af- uh, a Muslim-American woman wearing a hijab. And there were some other recent attacks by white supremacists. So I simply wrote that article. But that was too much for the Daily Stormer. And Andrew Englund, their founder, 
who was a big a supporter of Donald Trump during the whole campaign and continuing. So since I was making fun of white supremacists and Donald Trump, they came after me, but they came after me in ways that were far different than anything I've seen before. I'm happy to break it down and tell you exactly the details. I'm not sure you want me to sum that up now and continue. Sure. Yeah, go for it. So, what ha- I mean, this was beyond, I mean, the headline of their article was Dino Bidala, mastermind behind Manchester bombing, Whoa. calls on Trump to declare whites the terrorists. So that was the headline, and it got worse from there, Tom, if it's even possible. It, I mean, the first line of the article is ISIS terrorist Dino Bidala, mastermind behind Manchester bombing, has written an article at Daily Beast, demanding Donald Trump declared whites the real terrorists. Now, that, uh, that could be potentially opinion. I, I'm a lawyer by training. I don't practice law anymore, but... Perhaps, but what they did then was beyond the pale of any kind of legal defensibility. They fabricated tweets. They literally took my tweets and used whatever Photoshop program online and changed the words in it, saying things like, I personally planned the Manchester bombing, all praise to Allah, me writing tweets with my exact image of me. They actually put fake retweets and likes saying things like, I hope those in the hospital suffering after the Manchester bombing. will die. And it went from there. And then they wrote the entire article based on these fabricated tweets. And this is beyond any idea of civil discourse. I'm the greatest advocate of freedom of expression. This goes beyond that. This was making facts, smearing me. And then in his article, Andrew England called on his supporters to confront me. That's exact words, confront me. And this website has been read by people like Dylan Roof, who did kill nine African-Americans. By James Jackson, a man who came to New York in March and killed an African-American and was arrested and charged with terrorism by the Manhattan DA. And others who have committed violent acts have been radicalized or at least read this publication. So it was alarming enough for me to contact security at SiriusXM at the Daily Beast and to contact attorneys I knew. So uh, I understand you're having a problem even serving the guy who owns the website. Yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. I mean, we filed a lawsuit in Ohio because the corporation that runs the Daily Stormer is incorporated there, and that's where Andrew Anglin was apparently at one point living. We don't even know if he's in the country. The Southern Poverty Law Center is trying to sue him as well, and they're having a tough time serving him. We hope we can get service. We'd love to get justice in a courtroom and have him come there and be forced to testify and call out his white supremacy. And, you know, we have a president who thinks there's two sides to this. There's not. There are no fine people on the other side. I've dealt with the fine people. They're calling for my death and their comments and their, their attacks on me. There's no fine people on the other side. Yeah. They're all vile bigots, white supremacists. Yeah. Having, having been on the receiving end of more than, more than a few death threats, I, I know how um, unnerving it can be. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a, a remarkable piece over at, uh, or there was a day or so ago, over at NakedCapitalism.com, titled Debunking the Myth of Free Speech. And in this article by uh, Eve Smith, uh, she points out that there are all these types of speech that we specifically prohibit. Obscenity, mm-hmm. fighting words, defamation, libel, slander, child pornography, perjury, blackmail, incitement to imminent lawless action, true threats, solicitation to commit crimes, and treason and plagiarism. And points out that the commonality among all of them is harm, that mm-hmm. that in every one of these cases, there's a, uh, I guess at law, you'd call it a tort. Um, there's an actual sure. definable harm. And uh, asking the question, why is it, you know, now that we know and we have known in a big way since since the horrors of Nazi Germany were exposed in, 
in the late 40s, the consequences of hate speech, why we do not, why we are not more aggressive in proscribing it. And, and, I, and I realize the slippery slope, the danger of that, that, you know, if you or I being on Sirius XM were accused of engaging in hate speech and, and somebody tried to get, you know, Sirius to take us down or whatever, that that could be very problematic. I mean, but, but, I'd, but then I would argue, but we're not calling for things that are a harm. So anyhow, I'm curious your, uh-huh. your take on that. My, my thinking on this, uh, you know, I, up, up until the last year, I was just totally down with the ACLU defending Nazis. The ACLU has just decided they're not going to defend, defend Nazis anymore. And I'm coming to the opinion that I'm not going to either. Your thoughts? Well, Right. And when we say we're defending Nazis, it's clearly just their right to speak, not what their views are. And I think everyone listening understands that. The same thing with the ACLU. You know, I'm a great proponent of freedom of speech. To me, the answer to speech you don't like is more speech. I even publicly defended anti-Muslim bigots in New York who were putting up posters demonizing Muslims. And my response was to raise money with a friend of mine and put up positive posters of Muslims in the, in the New York City subway. And we actually had to sue the MTA subway to get that right to put up posters to, to counter the hate. And, and that was two years ago. There's a fine line between freedom of expression and words that inspire and radicalize actions of hate. Uh, I'd like to fall on the side of giving freedom of speech as much as possible. And that if you don't like it, you counter it with words. I think the line is generally pretty clear. If someone says, hey, we hate all X. We hate all Muslims, let's say. That's, they have every right to say that. If they want to say Muslims are terrorists, they have every right to say that. If they want to fabricate facts, that's different. If they say, we hate Muslims, now go out and kill them, then that's inciting violence. That's actionable right there, criminally and civilly. I know there's this gray area where you're radicalizing people online, which the Daily Stormer did, akin to an ISIS, telling them that a certain group out there hates them, that things aren't working out in their life because of that group. And we should all do something about it. And then they take them to the doorstep of violence. And then you cannot be stunned when someone commits an act of violence because of it. Now, ISIS goes even further. They tell them exactly how to commit these acts of violence. So it's not exactly the same. But it is, it's a hard error. I'm still going to fall on the side of erring on the side of freedom of expression because I believe we can counter it. But I think we have to be very vigilant. If we see words inciting violence, that those people be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And, and it sends a message that, we're going to protect your views and your opinions, but not when you make it specifically about a group or a person and you say, this is where they're going to be. Go get them. Yeah. And yeah. that's the line. Yeah, that's 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 that kind of middle point. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're discovering now in Spain that that all of the and apparently there's like a, a whole cell of them, say 12 or 18 right. people um, who all came who, who committed these murders uh, last Friday and uh, over the weekend in Spain that they all came from one little town way up in northern Spain that has one particular mosque with one imam who apparently has been getting, you know, the, the, the memos from Saudi Arabia. He's, he's uh, you know, preaching Wahhabism, and, and, you know, which is a, a, a horrible corruption of Islam. And uh, so, you know, you look at that imam and you say he's spreading hate speech, and it directly you can draw a, dr- a straight line, as- assuming that the investigations demonstrate this. I mean, right now this is all alleged. But you, you right. may be able to draw, certainly in other cases, you can draw a straight line from a, an imam saying something to the death. Just like here in the United States, you can draw a straight line from Christian uh, preachers to the death of abortion doctors, right? Which is another form of terrorism right. and another form of murder. And, and uh, I think at some point we, we have to get a little more aggressive 
or maybe a lot more aggressive, uh, not unlike the Europeans are doing, uh, with the purveyors of hate speech. Well, I think the government, I mean, with Donald Trump's government here, they wanted to cut funding for the counter-violent extremism program and targeting right-wing domestic terrorists who are not Muslims. They wanted to just focus on Muslims. Right. And we're seeing during the Trump administration in the U.S., we've had several attacks, which I would deem as white supremacist terrorist attack. What we just saw in Virginia, Dylan um, predates that, but Jamie Jackson, who came to New York, James Jackson came to New York in March and killed an African-American man. The man in Portland, there's another man in Maryland that arguably he identified as an alt-Reich member and killed unprovoked an African-American young man. So we have these attacks. The government has to be on guard against all threats. And it's a big job, but you cannot minimize the risk of white supremacist terrorism. I'm not saying at all. I'm Muslim. I'm not saying minimize the risk of some radicals who are Muslim committing terror attacks. I want them stopped more than non-Muslims. I can assure you, anytime a Muslim does something bad, my community pays a price for it as well as the victims of it because we oh, get yeah. the backlash. So we want these people stopped completely. I mean, it's just ridiculous and horrific what goes on, the backlash to our community. So we want to stop. It's, it's a challenge. I mean, Tom, there is that, that balancing where we do when you balance the interest of freedom of speech versus protecting society. And where does it tip? And at different times, it, it tips one way or the other. But what, one more quick thing. You know, Wahhabism, I know some people are Wahhabists. Mm -hmm. who will call me and say, look, I'm not a radical. I'm just an extreme conservative Muslim, and don't lump me in. There are, what I've heard about Wahhabism in Saudi, because I know Saudis, I've been to Saudi a few times, um, some of them are fine. Some, they're, they're bringing them to the doorstep of violence. Okay, and so, not Dean, we're, we're, we're hitting a hard break here. Uh, hang on just a second. This is the Tom Hartman Program. In that case, if I've, mis if I've misrepresented uh, Wahhabism or Saudi Arabia, my apologies. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.